Thank you, guys. Are you familiar with that song? Are you familiar with the words? If you come from a liturgical church background, you no doubt recognize that as the Apostles' Creed. You, if you are a Rich Mullen, Rich Mullins, Petra, or Third Day fan, then you probably also recognize that song. Uh, we are going to recite the Apostles' Creed at the end, and if we have time, which is looking less and less likely, we'll sing it uh, together. It might be God's will for us not to sing it looking around this morning. Oh, actually, looking in a mirror. Um, you know, it's a, this is significant. These words are significant because at least a portion of what we heard today constitutes the earliest creed of the church. We're going to be talking about that later. If you listen carefully, you will have seen the belief in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I think it's a good time for us to begin um, studying the Trinity. I was thinking about this a lot last night and this morning. When I got the news last night, this little boy's life was in the balance. And then just I begged the Lord, just begged God not to let him die. And he died. also talked yesterday with Chad... Uh, Several of us were up there on, uh, we, a lot of us had been back and forth to Durham and, and on Friday it was a great day. A doctor came out and he said, I, I could not be more excited about how the surgery went. And then he said, but a little bit got left on the brainstem. We just couldn't do it. This is a very aggressive cancer. This is a very aggressive tumor. So there are two hopes from a human standpoint. One is that the chemo gets it, or two, there's an experimental um, treatment that I, I read about two weeks after Linda had died, and it was the very thing I had been looking for as far as glioblastomas. Who knows if it would have made a difference or not. But they just this past week, um, or actually this coming week, are just going to, to approve this for children with recurring medulloblastoma, which is what... Um, Cali has, and and they're doing it at Duke, <laughs> of all the places in the world. So that's a possibility, but who knows? We don't know. But Chad said, look, let everybody know, short of a miracle, she's not going to be here long. And I was just thinking, this world, and, and he wants, obviously, everybody to keep praying. Keep praying for a miracle, and we will. Till the last second, uh, malignant tumor in a baby where they can't do all the treatment that they would do if you were a little bit older. It's difficult. So we need a miracle. But you know what? Sooner or later, we're all going. We, as Americans, we expect everything to go right, to go well. And when something goes badly, we're just shocked. We're surprised. Most of the world, it's the other way. Why do we have the... This world is always going to yield sorrow, tears, agony, depression. Our only hope is outside of this world. Our hope is in God. And this study that we are about to commence is going to tell us about this God who 
causes us in a relationship with Him to live above the circumstances. Clearly, we we recognize that life is not going to be the same in the coming years that it has been. It's just difficult to see economically how it's going to be the same. Even if it is for some of us, it's not going to be for all of us, for sure. Life is going to change. And, 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 and clearly God is calling us, not only as His people, but specifically as Grace Community Church, to learn about Him, to look to Him, to know Him, to understand Him. And only in God do we find peace and comfort and purpose and meaning. This uh, child, Team Valerie, he was 16 years old. He, um, he came probably with mono. The blood tests had been done and the doctor said, you'll, you'll be fine. His spleen, they said, it was the size of a football last night. He, he passed out on the slopes, uh, ski slopes. So again, nothing, no, no connection with camp at all, but mother's a nurse and she was there. And as you can imagine, uh, the self-recriminations have begun. And why did we let him come? Why did we? So pray for that, that family. They need the comfort of the Trinity, of the triune God. What's the big deal about the Trinity anyway? I mean, you know, if I asked you about the Trinity, you'd say, oh yeah, I believe that all my life. Three in one. You want an explanation? Three in one. There it is. There you have it. You want more of an explanation? Well, you just got to believe, that's all. Just believe it. What does this three in one mean? Well, I hate to tell you this, but it's going to be two more weeks before we really get to talking about what exactly it means, three in one. Now, we're talking about that in the home groups a whole lot. But on Sunday morning, this week, we're going to talk about why study the Trinity. Why is it so important for us to know? Next week, we're going to talk about why it's important to get it right. And, of course, we will be talking a little bit about, well, actually, a whole lot about the makeup of God, who He is. But then the following week, we're going to talk about the doctrine of God. What does it mean? When we, what do we mean when we say, I believe in God? Not continuing on, but just, I believe in God. What does that mean? Then we're going to take a week each for God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that's the direction we're heading. And uh, there will be more in addition to that also. You know... <laughs> Just saying three in one is about the best that most of us can do. And we have to acknowledge right up front that this doctrine, even though we know God in varying degrees depending on where we are in the Christian life, this doctrine is, is somewhat mysterious. God is mysterious and the doctrine is somewhat of a mystery to us. I don't know about you, but I tend to think of God as three or as one. It's difficult for me to think about God as three all at the same time in, in one being. He is much more, though. But it is the truth surrounding the Trinity is mysterious. That does not know, mean, though, that we cannot know much about this most important doctrine.
Now, I told you last week there's a difference in theological terms between a secret and a mystery. A secret is something we absolutely are not going to know unless God chooses to reveal it to us. There are many things that God has not chosen to reveal to us. They're secrets and we can't know them. A mystery is something that was previously hidden but now has been revealed. You see the word mystery a great deal in the New Testament. And, and it's talking about something that, that, that they didn't get before Jesus. But after Jesus and the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, then it's been revealed. This truth has been revealed. Even so, even though we now have knowledge and awareness of, of a particular truth that was hidden before, like the, the fact that God is three in one and not just one alone. There is much more to the truth that God has shown us than we will ever be able to fully comprehend and certainly more than we'll ever be able to explain fully. Any analogy you give for the Trinity falls short at some point. Just does they're helpful, but any analogy falls short. A mystery in theological terms is not what we typically think of as a mystery today. When you hear the term mystery, you probably think of something that is unknowable, but is solvable if all the pieces are put into play. It's like a puzzle. We just have to, okay, here's a piece. Now, where does that go? I have to, have to figure it out. We think sort of like a murder mystery. But that's not a mystery in Scripture. Let's look at a little bit of uh, Scripture. First, with regard to secrets, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Some things God has shown us, some things He hasn't. The things that He has shown us, we need to run with. What are you saying? Let's, let's take this and go with it. A mystery in the New Testament is something that was... Well, you'll see. In Romans 16, 25 to 27, the Apostle Paul gives an informative benediction by writing... Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed. And through the prophetic writing, writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. You see that, don't you? Mystery in the New Testament, something we didn't know about, but now we do because God let us in on it. You think about all the mysteries in the New Testament, the mystery of the Trinity, the mystery of the gospel here in in Romans 16, and the mystery of, of the idea of Christ in you the hope of glory in Colossians 1.27, and the mystery of faith in 1 Timothy 3.9. While these truths are indeed understandable and explainable to some degree, they're nonetheless beyond our human ability to fully grasp and explain. For instance, try talking about Christ in you, the hope of glory. I mean, you can. there's a lot you can say, but then you're going to, at some point you're going to say... But there's an element here I don't get. All right. This is a long introduction. I don't like long introductions, but here we keep, we're going to keep going here. And, and you're going to feel like you're on a seesaw. But I need to come right back and say that while there is a lot of this mysterious about God, there's much that we can know about God. That we should know. 
that we will, after this series on the Trinity, know a lot better. At least, that's the goal. But, as the seesaw teeters back, we have to acknowledge that we will never fully comprehend God. Which brings us back to the title of our series, All of God, Exploring the Mystery of the Trinity. This week in Home Fellowships, we're going to talk a lot about how God is knowable and how at the same time He's incomprehensible and how all of that works together. Throughout this two-and-a-half-month series, with a few breaks that are built in, we're going to be learning more and more about God while all the while realizing some things we'll never fully know. I want to make one more introductory note before we read our text for this morning. When the, when the term God is used in the title and any time in this series, we're not talking about God the Father. That's our tendency. When you say God, you tend to think of God the Father. We're talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all of God. When you read the word God in the Old Testament, it's not referring to God the Father. It's referring, the writers were, well, they didn't know it, but they were referring to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All of God, all the, He's never changed. It's just that now we know what was previously hidden. And so, try to begin to move your mind in that direction, that when we think about, talk about God, we're talking about all of God. Well, let's get to our text this morning. Romans eleven thirty three to 36. This text talks about the awesomeness of God. And when he talks about God, who is he talking about? God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. His awesomeness is beyond our comprehension. Though our awareness of who God is expands, and it expands in our mind His awesomeness as we contemplate the truth that is given about who He is. So if you would, please stand as we read Romans 11, verses 33 to 36. And I'm certain the first time you ever read these words as a, as a Christ follower, as a believer, they resonated in your heart. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And amen, Father, we say to these words inspired by you, about you, And from the heart of one who was almost overcome with your awesomeness. Lord, reveal yourself to us as much as you will. Help us to be seekers. Help us to to desire greatly to know you better. And help us to absorb what we learn and where, Lord, it should affect our lives in the way that we respond to you and in the way that we live, then may it do so. We recognize that our willingness to respond to you will determine to a great deal 
how much of you you are going to reveal to us. And so we come with open hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you and be seated. Why should we study the Trinity? And there are several reasons, beginning with the plain and simple fact that God chose to reveal Himself to us in this way. And He chose to reveal Himself to us this way because it's who He is. And He wanted us to know He did so for our benefit and comfort. Now, for His glory, absolutely, absolutely. But don't miss the fact that He revealed Himself to us in this way for our benefit and, in, and comfort. Our knowledge increases as we learn about God's true nature. And our faith grows as we see the, the, the many ways that God and the persons of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work together to secure our salvation, to shepherd us through this painful, difficult world, and to guard and guarantee our inheritance of eternal life. And that's awesome. When Jesus, at the very end of his time with the disciples on this earth, the night before he was arrested, when you would assume that he would tell them the most important things on his heart, he talked about the Trinity over and over and over. Once again, you're going to see just how much in the home fellowships this week. Well, a second reason we should study the, the Trinity is that it connects us with all our brothers and sisters since the church began at Pentecost. You know, the study of God and who He is, His nature, His makeup, has dominated theological discussions ever since Jesus went back to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father and the Holy Spirit came to us at Pentecost. Christianity is a historical religion. There's no way we can get around that. We are connected with our past whether we want to be or not. And whether we know it or not or whether we acknowledge it or not, a lot of what we think about God is because of all of the debates, the theological debates and discussions and prayer and thought and time that went into hammering out these doctrines over the years. We recognize that God being three in one is quite an unusual belief. There's no other belief in any other religion like it. Some that you know, seem very, very strange to us from other religions. But when people look at us and say, you believe God is three and one all at the same time, it makes no sense whatsoever. Well, we just accept that. You know why? Because in the fourth century, people were, were, were duking it out about what it meant that Jesus said, I and the Father are one. What did he mean by that? In fact, the study of the history of the church is in many ways the study of theological formulation. You know, it's interesting that, that many of the heresies that, that, that arose in the early centuries are still very much in play today. Now, they, they take on a different look from, from century to century. But still, many of the heresies that you see today in Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and their thoughts about Jesus were very much around in the second and third centuries. Next Sunday we're going to be talking about, as I've already mentioned, why it's important to get the doctrine of the Trinity right. And we're going to take a look at some of the, 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 the main controversies through the centuries and, and how we came to the conclusions that we did about God. And I promise it'll, it'll not simply be a lip history lesson and I'll, I'll do my best to keep it from being boring. 
When we study the Trinity, we inevitably, though, connect ourselves with all those who have gone before us. And, and, and here's one of the reasons that's important. If they had not remained true, we wouldn't be here today. If their thought processes had not gone the way that they had, and God had not led them in the way that He did, we wouldn't be here today. Well, another reason we study the Trinity is that this doctrine distinguishes Christianity from all other religions and from Christian cults. We should understand this crucial difference because it has eternal implications. It's why that when someone asks you, well, don't we all worship the same God? That you can say, well, if we all worship God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit as one God, then yes, we do. But of course, nobody else worships God in this way. You ever have to think about that? When people say, well, don't we all worship the same God? Well, again, when you understand the Trinity, you don't have to think about that any longer. No, we don't. Now, be careful. I mean, you don't want to just say, no. No, you're just wrong. You have to understand God the way that I do. That's not the best way to witness to somebody, but you, but you certainly need to point out the differences because if they think you agree with them that we all worship the same God, then they think, hey, everybody's okay. But we're not. We have to acknowledge and believe Him as a triune God. Now, there are we talk about heresies next week. We're going to talk about modalism and subordinationism and uh, Arianism and things like that. I know you just can't hardly wait. I know you're just thinking, please do it now. Talk about it now. But some of those heresies are clearly of eternal consequence. Some may not keep a person out of heaven, but they're certainly going to lead you in a wrong direction. And it's important for us to understand why we need to get this doctrine of the Trinity right. Well, other religions, some other religions acknowledge Jesus as an important teacher. And in some cases, such as Islam, they recognize him as a prophet. But no other religion recognizes Jesus as God. They may say that they do, but they're just playing with words. If you're wondering whether or not a particular group is a cult, because this is true of cults, groups that call themselves Christian and, and yet don't believe in the deity of Jesus. If you're wondering whether or not a particular group is a cult, here are three distinguishing marks. Here are three ways to tell whether a group is a cult or not. First of all, they always deny the deity of Jesus. Even if they say that, that they believe that Jesus was God, they're just playing with words. It's semantics. When you press them, they don't believe that Jesus was God. I was at a, a Hare Krishna temple years ago with a group of seminary students, and, and, and we were allowed to ask uh, the Swami questions. Very, very, very bright guy, guy over at Hillsborough. And uh, someone said, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? He said, yes, I do. I believe God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And you think, well, hey, this, something's, something's not right with this. And then he said, do you believe that he is the only Son of God? And he said, uh, I know I couldn't say that. 
So you see, even, even though he wants to tell you this is what he believes, he believes a lot more than that, and that just it destroys it. The, the, the integrity of the, of the doctrine. Secondly, they deny salvation by grace. Always there is some effort on a person's part that is required for salvation. That's always true of a cult. Now, it's true of some people who get it right about the Trinity. There are a lot of people who get it right about the Trinity that get, it, get the, the idea of salvation by grace wrong. And I don't know how you do that. Because when you understand the Trinity, and you understand God's justice and wrath that Jim prayed about in his prayer this morning, and, and yet His love and His mercy all existing at the same time in perfect harmony. You have to understand that there's no way we can work our way to heaven. Third, they always have another source of revelation. The book of mourning, the writings of the great leader, whatever. There's always some source of revelation that is outside the Bible and, and thought to, be, to come directly from God. Now, it's my desire to spend one Sunday in this series, or at least a portion of a Sunday, towards the end, talking about, with all of the knowledge that we gain, how to witness to someone like a Jehovah's Witness, someone who is in a cult where they don't believe the deity of Christ. I, I can promise you, if you're going to convince someone who is in a cult that his or her beliefs are faulty, then you're going to have to understand the Trinity. In fact, a great deal of their training when they try to convert you, is based around trying to mess up your understanding of the Trinity. And they're going to tell you, no, 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 well, how can, how can, when Jesus was on the cross and He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How is that a part of the Trinity? If you hadn't thought about it, it's going to trip you up. Now, it's, it's, it's nothing if you understand the Trinity. It's no problem at all. But you're going to have to understand and believe it Fully, if you want to impact others. The Trinity is our defining doctrine. And we need to study it so that we can understand all of God. Well, a fourth reason to study the Trinity is that a proper understanding of the interaction between Father, Son, and Spirit. How they interact with one another. And an understanding of their roles in our lives will lead to significant spiritual growth. And there's a whole lot more to this point than I... But you can see it's long enough as it is. You know, it's interesting that when I have uh, told people both inside and outside of our church that we're about to commence on a study of the Trinity, at least a couple of people have said, oh, well, that's really interesting. I've always wanted to know more about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I suppose the reason for that desire is is because unless you're, you tend to be charismatic, you don't spend nearly as much time thinking about the Holy Spirit as you do thinking about God the Father and God the Son, Jesus. And it's a good thing for us to understand, oh, there is so much benefit to us understanding the Holy Spirit's role in our lives and in this world right now. You know, what we tend to do, anytime we think somebody has taken a doctrine to an extreme, we try to balance it out. You know, so we, okay, well, this is the truth about it, but you're over there, so I'm going to get over here. That's a shame. We miss an awful lot. All three persons of the Trinity are intimately connected with one another, and they're intimately involved 
in the lives of Christ followers. And the more we know about the roles that these different persons of the God have, God have in our lives, the more potential for spiritual growth. If your understanding of God is limited, your potential for spiritual growth is limited. Speaking of roles, I, I suppose the most frequently asked question so far in this series is, what about prayer? Who do we pray to? I, I'm, I'm sure some of you have, uh, have, have asked that question. I'm going to let you in on a secret, and in so doing, it's going to reveal how complex this topic is. I don't have the answer yet. I mean, I used to think I knew. We just pray to the Father. That's it. Jesus mediates on our behalf. The Holy Spirit takes our prayers and and translates for us. But you know, there is definitely evidence. Well, I mean, nobody questions that we pray to the Father. Jesus taught us to pray to the Father. But there's evidence that Paul communed with the Savior. Even in the passage that we read last week, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, where he said... He begged the Lord three times, almost always. And I, I, I don't know that I track this down that closely. Almost always when you see the term Lord in the New Testament, he's talking about Jesus. It's the Greek word kurios. And he's referring to Jesus. He was known when, when Christians talked about the Lord, they were referring to the Savior. Uh, and he says, I, I besought him three times to remove this thorn in the flesh. And he said, my grace is... Well, listen, I'm going too far into it. The point that I'm making is this. Some things are not as clear as we want them to be. If there is any... First of all, let me go back and say, I don't know of any place we're commanded to pray to Jesus. And maybe you'll be coming up to me after the service and saying, let me help you. Well, that's good. We'll learn together. I certainly don't know of any place, either in command or example, where we are encouraged to pray to the Holy Spirit. There is a lot of prayer to the Holy Spirit. But anyway, we'll get to that. And I'll go a lot deeper and I'll be calling all my friends, you know, long distance. Say, hey, what do you think about this? And tell me why you think about this. But I'm just telling you that some some of it is not as clear as we want it to be. Well, we're going to get there. We just have to do it one step at a time. The last reason I'll give to study the Trinity is that it will increase our awareness of God's awesomeness. God is knowable. God is incomprehensible. Did you get that? We can know God, and yet He is incomprehensible. Now, if those seem like mutually exclusive ideas, trust me, they are not. The harmony of these two truths are going to be fully examined at home fellowships this week. Are you getting the hint yet about how important the home fellowships are going to be in this study? I mean, we already had a great week of thinking about the Trinity. Our group was called off last minute because of an emergency, but um, I've heard from a whole lot of you about uh, how good the conversation was and exciting it was. If you're not already connected with a home group, then see KJ or me or any one of the elders or 
one of the staff, any one of the staff, and just ask them, you know, where where should we get connected? And look, just commit for this semester. I, I, I'm not being silly when I when I say that if you find at the end of this semester that it's not that beneficial for you, that's fine. But it really is going to be important this semester for you to get in a home group and to to complete or to to augment the studies that we're doing here on Sunday morning. And and I I do think that you will find them to be quite beneficial. But it doesn't matter. Just just come for the spring if you want to. Well, God is awesome beyond our comprehension. Our text told us that. I've mentioned it several times. And I didn't need to. We already we already knew that, didn't we? The more we learn about the Trinity, the more amazed we will be at who God is. But not just an ontological or theological appreciation that we'll gain as we study the Trinity. We will find the Lord so much more real and so much more awesome in our own lives as we study Him. You know what just frustrates me? That I can't fix everything. I, I'm just one of those kind of people. It's not that I'm a fixer personally, that I can fix your problems, but I know somebody who can. You know, and I've just always enjoyed doing that. But just time after time, I, I got no say in the matter. And I'm either going to just be depressed or I'm going to turn to God. And the more I learn about Him, remember how, how, how Paul would say, Peter would say, grace and peace to you through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You want more grace in your life. You want more in your life. Learn more about God. The more I know about Him, the more real and the more awesome He is in my life. Not that that's the ultimate goal, but it's a tremendous benefit of studying. I hope you're excited about this study. Please let me encourage you to hang in there, even if the waters seem particularly deep at times. If you have to, go to sleep. I promise not to scream during this series. But then come back up. And I think you're going to be refreshed. I I pledge, as do the home fellowship leaders, to keep this study as attainable as possible. And by the way, you'll you'll recognize that I didn't use much Scripture at all today. You're just going to be inundated, overwhelmed with Scripture this week at home group. Again, that's why they, they go hand in hand in hand. And so we want to keep this as, as, as attainable as possible, to bring it down, if you will, and then take it back up to where we, we grow with our understanding. We grow spiritually with our understanding of, of this doctrine. But, but if you're never stretched and challenged about your understanding of the Trinity, then you've hit a ceiling that's not healthy. Break through it and, and hang with it as much as you possibly can.
And you'll find that God is far more awesome and wonderful and terrifying and gracious and mysterious than we ever knew Him to be. Well, next week we'll delve into history a little bit. You may have heard about the Council of Nicaea, the Council of Constantinople, both in the 4th century. Or maybe you haven't heard about those councils. Perhaps you have heard about the Council of Four Oaks. That was, no. Maybe you've heard of of the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. I I can tell you that almost all of the major councils and and creeds were were, um, a response throughout church history to bad theology. And they all involved the understanding of the triune God. Almost all of them did. David sang the Apostles' Creed this morning. Um, in just a moment, we're going to stand and, and, and quote this creed. We're not going to have time to sing it, but we will quote it. How many of you know the Apostles' Creed by heart? I saw some of you just, you know, lip-syncing with David. You know, you were right there. So I figured that you did, and, you know... Either you came from, you know, a Methodist church or Episcopal church, you, you were in the Catholic church sometime, or you're just weird. One of those options. Uh, but you, some of you know the Apostles' Creed. This version, the creed that we know today, wasn't finalized until the 10th century. Now, it started in the 2nd century. Tertullian had a lot to do with one of the great heroes of the Christian faith, Rome, Bishop of Rome and in, this, in the second century. And by no later than the late second century, we had a little bit of what was known then as the Roman Creed. And, and in his mind, Tertullian was given a great deal of emphasis on the triune God. Now, we see the three persons of the God. You wouldn't be able to get the full doctrine of the Trinity. But, but here's what um, the earliest form says. And it says this and it says it only. I believe in God the Father Almighty. And in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. And in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the resurrection of the flesh. Well, here we are right at the very earliest statement of faith that we have from from church in the church history. Stating a, a firm belief. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we have the same statement of belief in the Apostles' Creed, although it's been expanded a great deal. So we're going to affirm the Apostles' Creed together. By the way, when the, when the Creed speaks of the Catholic Church, it's not talking about the Roman Catholic Church. It's talking about the Universal Church, all those who have believed in Jesus. And when it talks about descended, Jesus descended into hell, that's the idea that he did during those three days. I don't believe he did. Most modern theologians, conservative theologians don't believe that Jesus went into hell. They believe that in Hebrews, I mean, excuse me, Ephesians says he descended to the lower regions of the of the earth and that just means that he came from heaven, his lofty throne in heaven to dwell amongst us. When Jesus said, it is finished, I think he meant what he said. That was it. Suffering for sin was done. So, um, because... It could literally be translated, paid in full. It is finished. could be translated that. But this is a very, very important statement of faith by the church. So having clarified all that, let's stand together and quote the Apostles' Creed. Now, I, I don't know how it flows. So those of you who, who say it a lot, have said it a lot, you, you take the lead, would you? You ready? 
I believe in God the Father Almighty, heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. By the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You ain't quoted that much either, have you, Jim? Oh, you have. He took off like a house of fire. (laughs) All right. Please stand for the... Remain standing for the benediction.